All right, uh, so it looks like uh, most of our children have made their way back to the back tables. If you haven't and you want to, feel free to do so. Uh, next week is our last week of All In. We do this uh, every August, have all the children and students in here. Uh, and then we do it throughout the year on the first Sunday of each month. So next Sunday is what? First Sunday of the month. So we'll do it again next Sunday. And then uh, they'll be back to their regular scheduled activities. Um, so since the kids are in here, I thought we'd do something fun to start things off. And I promise you, this will connect later with what I have to say. Uh, how many of you know rock, paper, scissors? Yes. Rock beats scissors. Scissors beat paper. Paper beats rock. And you go, rock, paper, no. Well, how do you do it? <laughs> You do one, two, three? Rochambeau, that's it. Okay, so with someone near you, I want you to do rock, paper, scissors. Ready, best four of seven, go. partner apparently they're just sitting there I mean I can't say much about Donnie sitting there reading his Bible <laughs> oh all right who are the winners who won wow that whole row won that's impressive I don't know how you pulled that off but all right rock paper scissors Caleb you beat your dad all right yes I love it I love it. Classic David versus Goliath. Caleb beat his dad. And we're talking about David and Goliath today. Uh, it is this famous story from the Hebrew Scriptures. A classic underdog story of this uh, David, who was probably not a boy. He was probably more in his teen years, maybe around 15, 16 years old, uh, defeating this giant named Goliath. And this, this has uh, become a part of our uh, cultural consciousness. I mean, uh, sports commentators use this analogy all the time, David beats Goliath. Uh, it's just something that uh, we hear about, these underdog stories, and it gets connected back to this classic underdog story of David versus Goliath. Uh, and it, it resonates deeply, I think, with the human consciousness because we all face giants in our lives, don't we? We all face these things that feel like hurdles that we can never get over, that we can never defeat, that we can't get by. Uh, whether it's uh, relational brokenness, uh, disease, whether it's a, a work situation, or um, wh whatever giant may be in your life. We all face giants, don't we? And so this morning I want to explore this text. and. Uh, you may be thinking, well, I, I know this story. So this morning, I, I want to look at it a little differently than maybe perhaps you've looked at it before. And uh, for some of you, after the teaching this morning, you may say, 
wow, you, you actually did share some things that I hadn't heard before, and I, I really enjoyed that. For others of you, you may say, those things that you shared that I hadn't heard, but you just ruined the story for me, and I don't like you anymore. Uh, I'll let you be the judge of that at the end. Um, we're going to spend two weeks with this story. This morning, I want to kind of just uh, teach through it a bit and um, land with some, some, a couple of practical things. But next week, I really want to talk about uh, the force of this story in our lives more so. And so let's jump into 1 Samuel chapter 17. It says, now the Philistines gathered their forces for war and assembled at Soko in Judah. They pitched camp at Ephes Demimim between Soko and Azekah. Saul and the Israelites assembled and camped in the valley of Elah and drew up their battle line to meet the Philistines. The Philistines occupied one hill and the Israelites another with the valley between them. And so they're, they're camped on opposite hills of the valley of Elah. So I want to show you uh, a map of the area. Maybe. There it is. Uh, so where the red dot is, is where the Valley of Elah is. Uh, now you probably can't see the names of all the towns, but this is, a, this is a vital location because the Philistines are seafaring people. And so they have crossed the sea from Crete and they have landed on the western coast of Palestine and they have made their way east and they want to overtake Israel. And the Valley of Elah is a very important valley because if they can get through there, then they can get to the cities of Jerusalem and Bethlehem and Bethel and these, these in Hebron, these major Israelite cities, and they can rip the kingdom of Israel apart if they can get past this one point. And they're at a, at a standstill because they're each on a hill with the valley between them. So in the next slide, you see the far hill there, that's where the Philistines were camped way up that hill. Next slide. On this hill to the left is where the Israelites were camped, and this uh, is the Valley of Elah between. Now you see how steep the hill is there. For either army to rush down into the valley and try to go up the hill would be suicide because the opposing army at the top of the hill would just annihilate them. And so they have been at a standstill for weeks facing each other, neither army willing to go against the other. And so, this happens. Verse 4, a champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. His height was six cubics and a span. Now, uh, there's lots of debate, lots of scholarly debate about how tall Goliath was. Six cubits and a span is about nine foot six inches tall. So huge. Uh, other ancient manuscripts, uh, the way it's translated is that he was six foot nine inches tall. And so there's some confusion. Was he six foot nine or was he nine foot six? Now in the ancient Near East, the average height of a man was about five and a half feet. So even if he was six foot nine, he's still a giant in their eyes. Uh, traditionally, the story has been told that he was nine foot six. So um, if you can skip to the, yes, thanks. Uh, this is Robert, what's his last name? Wadlow, uh, tallest man known to have, uh, to have ever lived. He was eight feet, 11 inches tall. Eight feet, 11. So if Goliath was nine foot six, he was taller than this guy by seven inches. 
And so this is a massive human being that comes down into the valley to challenge the Israelites. He had a bronze helmet on his head and wore a coat of scale armor of bronze weighing 5,000 shekels, which is about 125 pounds. On his legs, he wore five bronze greaves and a bronze javelin was slung on his back. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod and its iron point weighed 600 shekels, which is 15 pounds. His shield bearer went ahead of him. Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine and are you, are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he is able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. Then the Philistine said, this day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. On hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. They were dismayed and terrified. All of Israel. Saul, who we're told early on, is a, a head above everyone else in Israel. So he's kind of a giant himself. And then all of Israel. They're all terrified of this giant, Goliath, who has come out to challenge them. Now, what Goliath is doing is what's called a challenge of single combat or a contest of warriors. This was common in ancient warfare, where a warrior from one side would challenge a warrior from another side in order to reduce bloodshed. And so if these two armies go against each other, there's going to be a lot of bloodshed. But if it's a contest of champions, if it's single combat, and whoever wins that then wins the battle, then you reduce the bloodshed. Only one person dies. And so what Goliath is doing is he's saying, hey, I'll, it, just send me your best warrior. We'll do single combat, and whoever wins, wins the battle. Uh, so th this is very common in ancient literature as well. Uh, in the next slide, you see uh, Achilles and Hector looking remarkably like Brad Pitt and whoever that is. Uh, and so th this is a common uh, single combat challenge. Now, in enters David. I'm going to summarize the next several verses for you. So uh, David has been playing the harp for Saul, but he's also been going back home to take care of the sheep. So he's going back and forth. And so uh, his father, Jesse, will send David with food and supplies for his older three brothers who are all at the front line. And so uh, David is sent along with food from time to time, and uh, one day he comes with food and supplies for his brothers, and he, for the first time, sees this giant and, and what's going on with this giant. So in verse 23, as, he was talk as David was talking with his brothers, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, stepped out from his lines and shouted his usual defiance, and David heard it. Whenever the Israelites saw the man, they all fled from him in great fear. So notice, all Israel is afraid. Verse 32. Now David's talking with Saul. And he says, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. How is it that all of Israel 
is trembling in fear. And this young shepherd is not afraid. Somehow, David sees something that no one else in Israel sees. Fear blinds us. And all Israel is afraid. David comes on the scene. This has been going on for 40 days. The Philistine, the giant, coming out every day, posing this challenge. All Israel afraid. David sees him for the first time. And he says, I'll, I'll take him on. I'll battle that giant. How is it that David is not afraid? And all Israel is. Well, one thing we know, there's a couple of reasons. The primary reason, which I want to talk about more in a little bit, is that David is confident in God's presence with him to face this giant. David is confident that God is with him, whereas the rest of Israel, it, it seems, for some reason, have forgotten about God. They haven't gone to God. They're, they're just trembling in fear. Uh, there's something else, though, that I think David sees that the rest of Israel does not see. So David is talking to Saul, and uh, if you know the story, you know that Saul then says, Here, here's my armor. Put on my armor, here's my sword. And uh, David is like, I, I'm not used to these. This isn't going to work for me. And so, in verse 39... He says, I can't use these, he said to Saul, because I'm not used to them. So he took them off. Verse 40. Then he took his staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones from the stream, put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag, and with his sling in his hand, approached the Philistine. So what does he go to battle with? Shepherd's gear, right? A staff, puts a sling in his shepherd's bag. Uh, this is a image of an ancient sling. Uh, the way you would fire these stones is by spinning it like this and then releasing one of the two straps and the stone would fly out. Now David has just shared with Saul that as he has watched sheep there have been times that a bear has attacked, there's been a time that a lion has attacked and he successfully defended the sheep and drove the bears away, bear and lion away and even killed a bear and a lion. David is confident that he can use this sling to defeat the giant. Now, we hear this story and we think, this is crazy. This is overwhelming odds against David. I want to talk a little bit about ancient Near East warriors. There were three types of ancient Near East warriors. First, there was the cavalry. They were horsemen and or, uh, or drove chariots. There was the heavy infantry, which were the foot soldiers with armor, swords, shields, and spears. And then there was the light infantry, the projectile warriors, archers and slingers. Did you know that there were slingers in ancient armies? That th this was a part of the army. Some people were slingers. Uh, judges even mentioned some. Among all these soldiers, there were 700 select troops who were left-handed 
each of whom could sling a stone at a hair and not miss. Isn't that amazing? Could sling a stone at a hair and not miss. Now, when it came to single combat, one warrior challenging another warrior, it was always understood that it would be hand-to-hand -hand combat, that another warrior would come down with a sword and shield and they would go at it, hand-to-hand -hand combat. Goliath never anticipated that a slinger would come face him. He was anticipating a heavy infantryman who would come down and face off with him hand-to-hand -hand combat. Now here's the thing. All three of these types of warriors, they balance each other out. Notice this. Heavy infantry could defeat cavalry with long spikes, spears, and their army. armor. Cavalry could defeat projectile warriors because the horses moved too quickly for artillery to take proper aim. But projectile warriors were deadly against heavy infantry because heavy infantry were bigger, slower, weighed down by armor. They were sitting ducks for slingers launching stones from a hundred yards away. Who's the underdog now? I submit to you that Goliath never anticipated a slinger coming down to meet him. And David comes down, and what Goliath does not see is his sling. He says, who are you to come at me with sticks? He, he sees David's staff. And we'll talk more about this uh, next week, what Goliath sees and doesn't see. But he does not see David's sling until it's too late. And Goliath falls to his death. It is rock, paper, scissors. They balance each other out. One can defeat the other, but the other can't defeat it. If Goliath is the rock, David is the paper. And he defeated the giant in a way that was unexpected and unanticipated. And he defeated the giant because he was an expert slinger. And God was with him. Notice this. Paul Halpern, historian, he says, this is why the Athenian expedition to Sicily failed. Athens' heavy infantry was decimated in the mountains by local light infantry, principally using the sling. Slingers in battle, deadly. Uh, next, Malcolm Gladwell, uh, this isn't an exact quote, but just information from him. Uh, he says, a ballistics expert, Etan Hirsch, did a series of calculations showing that a typical sized stone hurled by an expert slinger at a distance of 35 meters would have hit Goliath's head with a velocity of 34 meters per second, equivalent to a modern handgun. A time so brief, Goliath would not have been able to protect himself. He was carrying over 100 pounds of armor. <laughs> Next slide. Historian Robert 
daughter of Abekikopaka, whatever his name is. Uh, Goliath had as much chance against David as any Bronze Age warrior with a sword would have had against an opponent armed with a 45 automatic pistol. Oh, have I ruined the story for you? Oh. So what's the lesson? Be a slinger, not a heavy infantryman. <laughs> uh, here's, here's the thing. We often view giants the way Saul and all of Israel viewed Goliath. David saw something no one else saw. Uh, Jesus says, be as shrewd as snakes, but as innocent as doves. We're called to be innocent, we're called to be kind and compassionate, but there, there, there is a way of facing giants in our lives. There is a way of facing systems of oppression. There is a way of facing the things that feel so overwhelming we can never defeat them if we just open our eyes to a different way of viewing the battle. David saw it. No one else saw it. Why did David see it? We learned a couple of weeks ago what, what happened. David was anointed to be the next king and what happened? The power of the Spirit came upon him. When we live in tune with the Spirit, the Spirit wakes us up and shows us things we've never seen before. The Spirit guides us and shows us ways of facing the giants in our lives that we may have never seen before. David sees something no one else sees. It's because he's walking in tune with the Spirit, while others, through their fear, have suppressed the Spirit's work. Um, Goliath, when David comes out, Goliath says, am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Now, the narrator is doing something really brilliant here. The narrator does not mention the gods of the Philistines. Goliath's out there cursing David by the gods of the Philistines, but the narrator just doesn't even mention them. In essence, he's rendering them irrelevant and incapable. But David comes out, and David says to Goliath, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord. Now, the word Lord here is the personal name for God, Yahweh. I come against you in the name of Yahweh Almighty. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves for the battle is the Lord's. So all those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that Yahweh saves, for the battle is Yahweh's. David is living in tune with the name of Yahweh. 
the very breath of life. God's spirit leading and guiding him. David isn't trusting in the weapons of warfare. He's trusting in God's presence with him who has opened his eyes to see something no one else saw in a way that could defeat this giant and the Philistines who are bringing oppression against the Israelites. We all face giants, don't we? When we face giants, if we live in fear, it's going to be very difficult to see our way through. But if we live in tune with God's Spirit and with God's community who has the Spirit, the Spirit wakes us up and gives us new eyes to see. Notice what Frederick Buechner says. Here is the world, beautiful and terrible things will happen. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Whatever giant you are facing, don't be afraid. Walk with the Spirit. Walk with those in community who have the Spirit and see with new eyes. Malcolm Gladwell, he says, the act of facing overwhelming odds produces greatness and beauty. Now, there are giants in our lives that uh, ultimately, it seems, do defeat us, right? Diseases that take our lives, uh, tragedies. Uh, I believe Jesus showed us how to face all giants. Jesus showed us how to face these giants that, that even the world says brings defeat. Uh, Jesus showed us a way of facing giants um, that even though it looks like sure and certain defeat is actually the victory of God. Uh, as I was writing my sermon this week, um, this is something I wrote. Jesus is the one who saves but not in the way anyone anticipated. The powers could never have anticipated that Jesus would defeat the Goliath of sin, death, brokenness, and heartache through death. Jesus turned the tables on the powers, on sin and evil by dying. And through the power of his resurrection, a whole new creation is breaking in right in the midst of this one. Uh, sometimes the way to defeat Goliath is by dying. Not necessarily physically dying, dying to self. Getting ourselves out of the way so that the spirit can take up residence and lead us, guide us in a different way that opens our eyes to how to defeat giants in our lives. Uh, when we come and we take this bread and we dip it in this cup, we remember Jesus' death. And that his death, though it looked like sure and certain defeat in the eyes of the powers and the eyes of the world, 
It was the victory of God. On the night he was betrayed, Jesus took the bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body given for you. Take it and eat in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup and he said, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Take it and drink in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. God, thank you. Thank you for this story. Thank you that you give us eyes to see ways of facing giants that we couldn't see apart from your presence with us. God, we pray as a community of faith, we pray for those who are facing giants in our midst and, and those all over the world who are facing the giants of oppression, heartache, giants of sin and death and evil and despair. Pray that the very hope and healing of Jesus would cover over them and that the power of the healing presence of your spirit would move in beautiful and mysterious ways. We give you thanks in the name of Jesus. Everyone said. As you go today, I pray that the spirit of the risen Christ will open your eyes to see new ways of facing the giants in your life. That the risen Christ will fill you with all peace, with all hope, with a new way of seeing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his countenance towards you and give you his shalom, the very peace of Jesus that surpasses all understanding. Amen. Go in peace.